lot of us think that teachers are getting paid a lot less. Why is that? There is a, a myth out there, the poor underpaid teacher. And I think that that is promoted by the unions. But at some point, we have to say teachers are being fairly paid. And maybe we should use some of that extra money to go towards the education of our kids. What's the median compensation of a superintendent? The total compensation is around 270 for the state. The superintendent of the Ontario Montclair School District, 80% low-income kids, pays himself $720,000 wow. a year. Superintendent for Montebello in 2018 made $1.4 is there any impacts of strikes and getting paid more? When everyone in education says we're only in it for the kids, that's not actually what happens. The county stepped in and required that they made cuts of $8 million from the future, from the education of our kids, so that they could fund those raises. My guest today is Todd Madison, Research Director at Transparent California. His organization has collected 36.7 million records from public education agencies since 2010. Are teachers fairly compensated in California? We'll find out in today's episode. I'm Siamai Korami. Welcome to California Insider. Oh, it's great to be here. Thank you very much. We want to talk to you about teachers' compensation in California. Mm -hmm. uh, there's always this talk and there's always these strikes that teachers are not getting paid. Mm -hmm. What do teachers make? Well, in, in the state of California, if you look at the numbers, you know, Transparent California collects payroll data from uh, all the school districts in the state of California, about a thousand of them. And if you look at all that data and run some numbers, the total median compensation of a teacher in the state of California in 2020 was $119,422 a year. Wow. That, that's total compensation, which includes the value of benefits, you know, things like health care, retirement plans, all that stuff. Now, I think that's valuable. I think that if an if a employer was contributing $20,000 a year to my health care and my benefits, I would th say thank you very much. But sometimes people will object to that. The total pay is $91,097. So pay That's only. on average, right? Median. So that's Median. the midpoint. Yeah. A lot of us think that teachers are getting paid a lot less. Mm -hmm. Why is that? There is a, a myth out there, the poor underpaid teacher. And I think that that is promoted by the unions because when you go in front of a school board and you want to ask for more money, it helps for everyone to think that everyone is being very poorly paid. So um, I can tell you that I, I think teachers are great. You know, I really appreciate the work that teachers do for us. We have many friends in my family that are teachers, awesome people. You know, we deserve to, we should support them in any way we can. But at some point we have to say teachers are being fairly paid and maybe we should use some of that extra money to go towards the education of our kids. So if, he, if the teachers union allowed the public to know that the median pay of a teacher was $91,000 a year, then parents might be more willing to say, you know, we got all that COVID money, maybe it should be spent on improving some education, uh, something that would provide better education to our kids, instead of always hammering on, you know, we need to increase the pay of the people who work in the industry. Most of us might think that teachers make like thirty, forty thousand dollars a year. Where do you think that comes from? That's starting rates. The starting rate for most uh, districts for teachers tends to be about forty-five to fifty thousand dollars a year. That's where they start. Um, to focus on that, though, is is similar to saying, you know, if you're a, if you're a resident, if you're studying to be a doctor and you're a resident, you make very little money. Therefore, doctors don't make any money. 
That's not true. You know, once you get past that residency, you make a lot of money if you're a doctor. And with a teacher, once you get past the initial rate, the, uh, the pay ramps up from, from there over time. Um, if you look at the actual salary schedule for teachers, often it's weighted towards the high end. So teachers who have a lot of seniority tend to get a lot more money as they work their way up the scale. Uh, they do that by taking the money from the low end teachers. So, and the reason that I think they do that is because at the end of your career, you're getting ready to, be, uh, to go out on your pension. Pensions are based on the final pay. So by, by paying teachers more at the high end of their career, they increase the pension payout for the teacher at the end. I think that's exactly the opposite of what they should be doing. They should be paying starting teachers more. In my district in Oceanside, if you just, if you just held the, the high end pay, the ultimate, the step 22 pay is what they call it, to the same rate that they get throughout the schedule before that, you could add several thousand dollars a year to starting teacher pay which I think would do a great deal to attract people to the profession. And how long does it take for a teacher to go from like this 45,000, 40, 45,000, 50,000 to this 91 or higher? What's the timeline, time frame? It depends on the, on the district. That salary schedule is determined b um, district by district. The union negotiates that with the district. So some districts have like 10 steps between uh, starting and the end. So my district has 22 steps between starting and the end. So in theory, 22 years is what it takes to get to the top of the schedule. But keep in mind, 91,000 is the median, which is the midpoint. So 91,000 on a 22 step, step schedule is probably 10 years, you know, or something like that. What is the top? What, what's the top? The schedule, the schedule, the top of the schedules tends to be somewhere around 115 to 120,000 is the top of the schedule. Um, but that's not actually the top because there are additions to pay. You get additional pay for stipends, for uh, having advanced degrees, um, for longevity, their longevity bonuses. That's why I think it's important to look at the actual data. You know, as Transparent California does, we look at the actual payroll data, you know, what went into bank accounts, and we use that to figure these numbers. You mentioned that the teachers are getting paid, the median income is 91,000, and the benefits is 120. How does it compare to the income in California? We, we often hear teachers, or their union at least, claiming that um, teachers don't make what they would make with the same education in private industry. So um, the idea being that if you came out of school with the same degree as a teacher gets, you could make more money um, in private industry. If you actually look at U.S. Census Bureau data, the, and you adjust that for the educational level of a teacher, which is available on the California Department of Education site, um, the median or for a uh, comparably educated private resident is about $80,000 a year. So at $91,000, a teacher is making $11,000 more than they would make using that same education in private industry. And that doesn't even account for the fact that they, they have a 185-day work schedule. Typically, they have a contracted seven-hour-a-day work schedule for the days, so we're not factoring in uh, a lower amount of work. They can work during the summer. Um, it's also not factoring in the additional benefits. Teachers get about 17% more of their pay contributed to their retirement plan than private individuals do. So that, that makes them something about fifteen dollars to $16,000 a year more than you or I would get from our company in a 401k match. It's true when, when you say $91,000, $120,000, but in a city like San Francisco or Los Angeles, that might not cover your rent. Mm -hmm. you know, and, and in some places, that might not be a lot of money for them. 
Sure, certainly. I mean, in, there are places in California where that doesn't go as far as others. Um, I think one of the fundamental problems with the way that our education system works, though, is that they, they don't make any adjustments for cost of living in anything. Um, the amount of money that a school district gets, for example, um, is pretty much the same from district to district. It's all dependent on your proportion of low-income kids and things like that. So if you're in Victorville, you know, the, the teachers in Victorville probably make a lot more money relative to the local income there than the teachers in San Francisco. So um, I would love to see some factor in the funding formula, as a matter of fact, that, that address that. And then that way they could address that within the, the salary as well. But often we see that, that kind of comment like uh, you, they can't afford a house in their area. We see that a lot. Um, neither can private employees. You know, I mean, the fact that if you look at the comparable income in a, in a specific area, you'll usually find that teachers make more than private employees do, which doesn't mean that, that it's a good thing that the teacher can't afford the, the house in that area. But you've got to think, okay, well, private employees can't either, not unless they work two jobs or have two incomes or something like that. Now, is there any impacts of strikes and getting paid more? Like the unions have figured out how to do this, right? They keep doing the strikes and then they, they ask for more pay. Sure. It seems yeah. like a good thing for the teachers. Is, is that a good oh, thing? Oh, yeah, sure. It's certainly a good thing for the teachers. Um, this, the district I'm most familiar with, Oceanside Unified, I've been an activist there for a decade. Um, I can tell you that they have been on the state's watch list for bankruptcy for uh, about, since 2017. So they're one of about 17 districts on that. But yet last fall, they came, the union came in front of the board and said, we need a raise. You know, their total median compensation was $124,000 wow. a year. But they need a raise, even though they're on the bankruptcy watch list, and the board approved it. So just a few, a couple of months later, the county stepped in and required that they, they made cuts of $8 million from the future, from the education of our kids, so that they could fund those raises. So, you know, when everyone in education says we're only in it for the kids, that's not actually what happens. What actually happens, if you look at the numbers, is that um, first and foremost is what they are paid. They're paying benefits. That's the most important thing. Kids are often secondary. So where would that cuts come from if there was an $8 million cut? Um, it depends on what the, what the district is doing with their money. San Marcos Unified had a similar situation. They're on that same watch list. They said earlier this year that they need to cut uh, 197 staff, I believe, to make their budget balance. Of that, there was about 100 teachers being cut. Um, but the teachers union came in and, again, asked for a raise right after that. Um, so in their case, you know, what they needed, what they wanted to cut was personnel. So um, I spoke at that meeting and I asked the union, you know, are you going to personally apologize to all the staff that's going to be cut, that's going to lose their careers because you need more than $121,000 a year? you know, for your paycheck, um, but there's no answer to that. So they were cutting the non-teacher personnel? It doesn't make sense. They're asking for a raise, and then they're going to cut some of, is this their union staff or other? They cut, um, they cut somewhat equally across the board. They cut support staff, they cut uh, teachers, they cut some administrators in that as well. So um, they were cutting uh, everywhere they could. Why would they want to raise when they're cutting the jobs at the same time? Are your thoughts on that? I don't know. I would think that the people whose jobs are being cut would see that happening and they would oppose that. But yet they were, many of them were union members themselves. As a matter of fact, all of them were, were union members except the administrative staff. Um, but yet they continue to support their union, even though the union is, is pretty clearly at odds with their best interests. You mentioned that the teacher union came to the school board 
and, and, and managed to get a raise while the district had to fire people because they didn't have enough funding. Why did the board agree to it? Almost all school boards are funded in their elections by the union, almost all of them. It's very rare that you have a successful candidate who is not funded through the union for their, their uh, election. So, um, of course, they're going to pay back, you know, the union that elected them by giving them whatever favors they can. Um, they don't seem to pay a whole lot of attention to parents. You know, the parent interests are, are just not as high a priority on their list. We do have some, you know, there are some districts that have parent-focused uh, uh, board members. You know, San Diego in San Diego is one of those. Um, and we've seen some, some districts pushing back, particularly rural districts. We get more rural districts that have board members that are willing to stand up for kids up against the union. Um, but um, like all politics in California, it is driven by union interests, and so are schools. So the teacher unions are involved in this election of the board, school board members? Oh, certainly, certainly. Um, yeah, I mean, the teachers union will, will, they have $300 million a year in union dues to devote to political causes. And so they use that, you know, to buy elections. We see that all the time in, in different elections all over the place. I ran for school board in Oceanside in 2020. Uh, my opponent, even though he was technically a Republican, was funded for his marketing efforts, you know, signs and, and that sort of thing by the teachers union. So, um, so they're willing to, to fund pretty much anyone who does what they'd like them to do. When a school board is dealing with the union, let's say if it was elected by the help of the unions, how much do they work together? It, I don't know how much they can work together. I mean, can they collude, you know, together? It depends on, it, it probably depends on the issue and then the, the board member. Um, in my district, um, the president of the board is actually an employee of the California Teachers Association. You know, not, wow. the, not the local union, but the Teachers Association. Um, often teacher board, school board members are teachers or former teachers, so they were members of the union if they aren't already. Um, we see that a lot. Um, there are several, several school boards around San Diego County that have actual working union members on their boards. So um, I'm sure that they're working together. So is that a conflict of interest when you actually got voted in with the help of this group of people and then you have to negotiate with them on what they want? Oh, it's a total conflict of interest. Um, we have a board member in, in my district um, who is a teacher in a different district. And he'll, he'll say, well, it doesn't make any difference because I'm not teaching in your district. I'm not a member of your union. But when it comes time to, to uh, negotiate that raise, the union in my district will point to his district and say, well, they make so much money here, so we should make that much money. And then vice versa. It goes back and forth. So his vote in favor of a raise for teachers in my district will directly impact the kind of raise he gets in his district in the future. But that's not, it's not a direct enough connection to be con considered a conflict of interest legally, I don't believe, although it should be. Um, but uh, it happens all the time. We have a pretty big budget at the state for the education. For K through 12, it's about $120 billion that is going to education. How much of this is going towards the teachers and compensations? And how much of it is going to other things that are needed at the schools? So from what I've heard is that some schools didn't have enough money to buy the materials like books and things like that. The, the typical school budget is about 80% salaries, pay and benefits. Um, how much of that is teachers exactly is probably somewhere around 60% um, would be my guess, um, although I don't have an exact number on that. But um, 
but uh, statewide it varies tremendously from district to district. Some districts are as low as 70% pay and benefits, some are as high as almost 90, some are over 90. Um, it depends on the district um, to district, uh, the numbers there. But that, that leaves, it does leave a very small amount left over for things like classroom supplies, science supplies, you know, um, all the stuff that goes into making it an inviting place for kids to learn, certainly. Are we going to increase the pay? It seems like from what you're saying, the unions are controlling these this boards to mm -hmm. some level, mm -hmm. and they keep asking for these raises mm -hmm. and increases. Are we going to increase the pace as we go on? I would suspect they'll keep asking. I mean, it's up to parents to decide, you know, whether they want to support that or not and put pressure on their board members to, to use the money for something else. I mean, I, I would like to see a recognition now that teachers are fairly paid. You know, we've reached a point now where I think teachers are fairly paid. They're not, I don't think they're overpaid. I wouldn't say that. Um, I don't think they're underpaid. I think they're fairly paid. So I think nowadays what we should focus more on is providing concrete benefits to improve the education of our kids. We should have more microscopes. We should have better instructional materials. We should have computer pr things. We should have smaller class sizes. You know, there are many things that we could spend that money on that isn't putting money directly into the pocket of existing employees. So if we can do that and then we can improve the education of our kids, you know, maybe at some point, you know, we can start uh, increasing teacher pay at a higher level. Um, one thing to know about is that the teachers get a regular raise every year on their salary schedule. So when they go to negotiate, that's a bonus raise. They're actually adding money on top of what they get every year. So my particular... So there's already a raise built up, so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my, my particular preference would be to simply let them continue on with their salary schedule raises. I'm not going to suggest that we stop giving teachers raises at all. You know, people deserve a raise. Um, but I would like to see that that bonus raise money got turned into something with more concrete benefits to our kids' education. Like a performance review, like if you're doing really well with, with education, or would it go towards other... Um, I would like to see it towards other other things, improvements in education. I would love to see a performance-based um, pay system in education overall, but I think that that's pretty much a non-starter. I mean, they've they've tried that in different areas. Bill Gates's initiative tried that, and they didn't find any any tremendous benefits. I'm not sure how the program is structured. As far as performance goes, I would like to see something on the C on the superintendent side. You know, there is no CEO in existence in a $200 million company that would not have a significant portion of their pay dependent on performance. There would always be metrics. There would always be um, some goal to make. Only in education do we give superintendents three, four, five hundred thousand dollars $500,000 a year without actually expecting them to improve the education of our kids in some measurable way. That's where I would like to see it. If you put that on the superintendent, then he would um, flow that down and expect performance from his employees. What's the median compensation of a superintendent? Uh, $270-ish thousand dollars a year. I don't know the exact number, but the total compensation is around 270 for the state. We have superintendents. The superintendent of the Ontario Montclair School District, 80% low-income kids, pays himself $720,000 wow. a year. Superintendent for Montebello in 2018 made $1.4 million. Wow. Part of that was a legal payout. Part of that is she blew the whistle on some shady practices. Um, but, you know, it's still, it's, it's, it's amazing what they get paid just for being there, not necessarily for uh, making any improvement. 
we also have a problem in the state with shortage of teachers. Mm -hmm. We have about 83% of the teachers that are credentialed and there's 17% that are not credentials that are mm -hmm. teaching and we still have a shortage. What mm -hmm. are your thoughts on that? I think that the, the union has done such a tremendous job of promoting teacher, being a teacher as a low paid, disrespected, um, you know, bad career. You know, all we hear in the media is just how awful it is to be a teacher. Um, certainly, I'm sure that there are challenges in being a teacher. I know a lot of teachers, though. I know, you know, probably tens if not hundreds of teachers. And they're in it for the kids. You know, the teachers themselves are in it for the kids. They want what's best for our kids. The union, however, promotes this idea that it's a, it's a low-paid career. And as a result, I think they have a hard time attracting people. I think that if you were if you're coming out of college or going into college, deciding what you want to be, and um, you have two options, and one of those is teachers and teaching, and all you hear about it is how bad a, a job it is, that's going to discourage you from becoming a teacher. I think that if the teachers union went out and said, hey, be a teacher, make, make $91,000 a year, take summers off and work with kids, it's an awesome job, I think they'd have a lot better chance of attracting people to the profession. You mentioned that most teachers didn't get into that job for the pay. They get into it for the cause, right? But all we hear in the media is about the pay and the strikes. Teachers mm -hmm. not getting paid much. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Why do you think this is happening? Um, I think it's the easiest thing to capsulize in a, a sound bite. You know, I think that, that people understand pay. You know, they understand what they make. They understand that, you know, people always want to get paid more. They understand the relationship between pay and buying a house or a car or, you know, things like that. So I think it's kind of the easy route out. Um, I don't think that, that we hear a lot of stories from teachers who really feel like they're fulfilled, you know, they're doing what they want to do, that they're using their education the way that they wanted to, even though that's probably the vast majority. I'm sure the vast majority of teachers are happy being teachers and doing what they do. You know, I've spoken to a bunch of teachers. They love working with kids. They're very good at that. Um, I appreciate their efforts. And I think that if you go to any school board meeting that involves any kind of teacher-related issues, you will see a parade of parents at the board, at the podium, supporting teachers. You know, I think that parents really do support their teachers. And I think that there's a lot of good things as a result of that. But pay makes the news. If you're a really good teacher and you're really passionate about teaching your class and doing a really good job, do you really get rewarded in the current system? Depends on how you define reward. <laughs> you know, I mean, we've seen plenty of studies in private industry where people work for a boss. They don't work for a paycheck. You know, you certainly people want to make more money, but on the other hand, the reason people often quit is because they don't like their company, they don't like their boss, they don't like their coworkers. You know, they don't as often quit because they don't like their pay. And I think it's quite likely that's true with teachers as well. So Todd, how did you get involved with all of this? Um, I, was, I was a clueless parent for a long time. Um, my wife was what I used to call the ambassador to the school district. Um, so I was out there working. I was a CEO of a company once. You know, as you know, that's pretty busy. Um, you know, leaving for work in the dark, coming home in the dark. Um, and so I wasn't really paying much attention to schools. Uh, my wife would go off and be the, on the PTA and, you know, talk to all the teachers and pick up things. And she did just an awesome job with our kids. You know, our kids are great. It's my wife's fault. Um, but I finally got some time to free, up, free it up. And I, d I looked at their budget, because I'm a budget guy, 
and I, I, I was looking to see how are they spending Prop 30 money. You know, in 2012, we, we all agreed to tax ourselves at higher rates under Prop 30 to benefit better education. So I started digging in to say, okay, what is the result of that? Have we seen anything in, in the district that's taking that money and doing it for, for our kids? And I found, of course, no. The answer to that was no, that, you know, that's not happening. All the money is going into the pockets of existing employees. They're not buying more equipment. They're not adding teachers to reduce class sizes. So I decided to get involved. Um, I was the first parent representative on the budget committee for Oceanside. They call it the LCAP committee based on the, the funding law that, that enables that. Um, and then I was uh, a co-leader of the district's parent advisory committee for years. So. Did you look at the specific school or did you go into a district and analyze their budget? What, what did you do? The whole district. You know, I look at the whole district. Um, how they split that out among the schools is another issue of controversy um, with low-income schools. So you figured out a lot of the money is not going to the kids when they, when they raised the, it's when the tax came in, the Prop 30 passed. So in Oceanside, Prop 30 taxes generate about $23 million a year. Since 2012, they've raised their own pay and benefits for existing employees by double that. So almost $50 million a year more. So none of that Prop 30 money is going into um, improving education unless you define paying existing people more money as somehow improving education, which is not happening either. If you look at all the data, you look at the California dashboard, you look at SAT results, you look at NAEP, education at best in California is flat and in some cases down. So we're, we're giving them all this money. The, in the state of California, per ADA funding has gone up at three times the rate of inflation since 2012. 6.25%. What is that one? It's the, it's the per kid funding. Per child, per yeah. ADA is uh, the average daily attendance. So that has gone up at three times the rate of inflation, but yet 33% of our kids are proficient at math. All the rest of them are not. 49% of our kids are proficient at English. All the rest of them are not. Nothing has happened as a result of that huge increase in funding, and that's because pay and benefits have gone up at the same rate. How much is our budget per, per year for each student? It varies from district to district because there's a lot of complication in how they calculate that. Overall, um, it's been something like fourteen to $16,000 a year in the last few years. This year, there's a huge bump up. It's going to be something like $23,000 a year per student. Um, because of the increase in tax revenue and then all the COVID mitigation funds and all the federal funding that's coming and everything, it's, it's enormous. That's almost as yeah. much as a private school, right? Yes, yes, it is. It is. It, as a matter of fact, the, the uh, average cost of a private school in California in 2021 was about $15,000 a year throughout the state. In terms of education, California is ranked the 44th state in the country. Do parents, people involved, do they do they notice that or do you think people are not paying at enough attention or? I think everything is local, you know, as we know in politics, it's all local. And I think that depends greatly on how your own local district is doing. And to a large degree, people love, love their teachers, which they should. You know, it, it's similar to the effect you see in Congress where everybody loves their congressman, but they hate Congress. So um, people love their teachers, they should, teachers are great people. Um, but they don't look at the bigger picture view of, of uh, how that affects everyone. And I also see kind of a, a, a tendency, um, 
you know, we're in kind of a privileged group. My wife and I are, in, and we recognize that. You know, we're, we could have sent our kids to a private school if we wanted to, but it was important, particularly my wife, that we send our kids to public school. They can be exposed to the diversity and, you know, everything that goes on, the clubs and the sports and all the things that go on in public school. But there are a lot of people who don't have that choice. You know, there are a lot of people who, 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 who have to work two jobs. You know, they just don't have the ability to send their kids wherever they want. And I think that, that um, the privileged people who are actually able to take time off and attend meetings and look at the numbers and do all that sometimes forget that those people exist and that they need to have better schooling as well. So that's been a big part of what I've been trying to do too, is to make sure that we don't forget um, the people who are not able to take advantage of, the, of the, the benefits that I and my family may have had. Now, is there a way to fix this? What's a way to turn things around in California with education? Sure. I mean, fixing it, number one, is for parents to pay attention to the real, what is really going on. You know, Transparent California is a part of that. I can tell you that if every parent who felt that their kids deserved a chunk of that money for their education were to stand up at a school board meeting the next time they discuss raises for everyone and simply read from the Transparent California, just pull up your own district and look at the people there and just stand there and go, okay, this person made $322,000 next last year. Do they need a raise more than the, the underprivileged kids need science equipment? You know, is that really a thing? I think that that would go a great, a great distance if they paid attention to what their school board members are actually doing, you know, what, the, what they're voting on, watch the school board meetings, see what's going on, pay attention, you know, use that when you vote next time, support candidates who support kids. Lance Christensen is running for uh, state superintendent. Um, he is actually a parent-focused person, unlike most of our state superintendents that we've ever seen that really just listen to unions. So voting for someone like Lance is really a good thing to do. Um, and then from there, you know, just get involved. You know, be there at the school. Um, you know, do what you can to, to see what's going on and make sure you're aware of that and stand up for your kids. Do you have any other thoughts for our audience? Um, I think that that, that that sort of being involved and doing what you can applies to everything. You know, I think that in, in life right now, I appreciate the Epic Times because of the, the highlight that they put on real facts, real data, you know, exposing what's really going on. And I think that if parents look at that in education as well, I think we can make an impact. Todd Madison, Director of Research for Transparent California. It was great to have you on California Insider. Oh, it's great to be here. Thank you very much.